most people are quite aware that, you know, you probably ought to have a wind down routine. And it's something that they did as a kid, you know, you'd have a bath, you'd read a book and you get tucked in. And, and when you're ready, when you're relaxed, then you switch out the light. But I think as adults, because there's so much to do, we just totally neglect the fact that we've got to slow down. We've got to put on the brakes before we can switch out the light and expect to sleep. So the result is that a lot of people struggle either to fall asleep or even if they're so tired that they manage to fall asleep, they wake up in the early hours of the morning. And I think more often than that than not, that is because they are in this constant state of alert, of arousal. And we've got to retrain ourselves to actually be okay with doing less. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted. I'm Editor-in-Chief, Lisa Gebelagen. How did you sleep last night? If you answered that question with a yawn, you won't be surprised to discover that a recent report by the Sleep Health Foundation found that more than half of Australian adults are suffering from at least one chronic sleep symptom that's affecting their ability to live a healthy, happy life. So on the podcast today, we have Dr. Sophie Bostock, a sleep expert and scientist who works with everyone from athletes to entrepreneurs to help them improve their sleep. She joins our commissioning editor, Alex Davies, to talk about what to do if you're staring at the ceiling at 3am. Not fun at all. I've been there many times. How to enhance your workouts by getting in tune with your body's natural rhythm, as well as the strategies she swears by, including boring yourself to sleep. I basically have the best job in the world. <laughs> I help people get the right amount of something that they really enjoy, that makes them feel good, perform better, live longer. It has no harmful side effects and it's absolutely free. So my uh, passion is around sleep and I work with corporates, with uh, athletes, with the military and also with the police across the UK to help them to really understand, to get to grips with their sleep and not just know about it and understand it, but also to make changes to improve their sleep habits um, and hopefully improve their health and performance. I love that because I love that you're passionate about that because I was going to ask really what what sparked that passion for you, I guess, and what drew you to sleep in the first place? Uh, uh, kind of two aha moments, um, one <laughs> of them more embarrassing than, than the rest. I mean, um, I think from a, from a science perspective, I was actually doing my PhD looking at happiness and heart disease. And I wanted to find ways to help people more become more resilient to work stress. And I worked with the team at Headspace, the mindfulness meditation app, and we taught people to to meditate over eight weeks. And a number of them, when they came back, not only did they feel more positive and were they less stressed, but actually a lot of them said, do you know what? I don't think I know how to meditate, but I'm definitely sleeping better. And uh, when I looked into the data, I realized that there was this whole neglected chunk of science around the value of sleep that I hadn't really been aware of. And so that really opened my eyes to the fact that, that sleep could be this coat of armor against stress. Um, so that, that was really got, what got me into it. But then I went to go and work in sleep. I was researching sleep, talking about sleep. And like many of us, guilty of neglecting my own sleep. Mm. And uh, so three years ago, I was working for a startup, Sleepio, really busy company, uh, worked long hours. I was commuting from the South Coast. And uh, it all kind of came to a head when I had a climbing accident. Um, 
Yeah, I yeah, I was sport climbing on the south coast of the UK, beautiful cliffs, and um, I'd actually flown in. I'd been at work and I'd flown in the night before and my flight had been delayed. So I'd only had about three or four hours sleep, but just like everybody else, I said, ah, it'll be fine. And uh, I made a number of really stupid mistakes that day, which all culminated in a pretty nasty fall. And I was helicoptered off the cliff and uh, I had to have my ankle... Um, reconstructed with titanium pins. And uh, I had plenty of time after that to reflect on what had led to wow. this poor decision making. <laughs> and um, after that, I actually left my job and to, to set up to do what I do now, because I thought, you know, if, if I, with all this knowledge around sleep can still neglect it, surely there's got to be a case for actually helping people to make behavioral changes that are really going to make a difference and not just giving them knowledge that they'll kind of nod at and uh, think, oh, I'll, I'll do something about that later. Wow. So you've got this personal interest as well as so much of a professional one as well. So, wow. I was going to say, actually, because I think that's something you make such an interesting point about that, that I think it's something we know sleep is important for us, but it often, and I'm guilty of it too, I think we all are, like it falls on the back burner a bit in a way, or it's something that we maybe don't prioritise as much as perhaps other elements of our health or well-being, And what do you think? Do you see it as that, this double-edged sword, I guess? I think we're, I mean, I know from my own personal experience, it's incredibly easy to neglect sleep mm. because we've all got these to-do lists. We're all incredibly busy. And I think I've reached the point in my life where I realise there will always be more to do. And if you just leave sleep as the thing that you do when you've done everything else, it's never going to happen. So you really have to put sleep as that priority. You've got to create these very strict boundaries around protecting time for it, because otherwise it's just going to get squeezed. Hmm. And can you tell us, so I, there's this expression, I think people describe sleep as a key pillar of our health, you know, alongside nutrition, alongside exercise. Why? You know, I know there are so many, but can you tell me some of the reasons why sleep is so important to us? I think I feel like sleep is the pit stop in the Grand Prix of daily life. You know, we <laughs> race around, we try and squeeze as much in as possible. But if you've ever watched a Grand Prix, you know, if those drivers don't pull into the pit stop, they start to slow down, things start to fall apart. And sleep is the price that we pay for performing well during the day. But I think we've always used to think about it as just just recovery, just getting back to where we were yesterday. And I think the really exciting area of where the science is leading us is just to prove that during sleep, it's not just about getting back to where we were yesterday, it's actually about enhancing performance, improving mm. our mood, improving our memory, repairing damaged cells, um, making our muscles stronger, enabling us to focus better the next day, waking up, able to perform new skills that we actually couldn't do the day before because they've become more sort of automated overnight. Um, there, there pretty much isn't any aspect of your health, well-being, performance that isn't enhanced by regular sleep patterns. It doesn't mm. matter what you're interested in. If I was to ask you, you know, what are your goals for 2022? What is it that you really want to achieve? Whatever you say to me, I guarantee I will be able to pull a piece of research out and go, <laughs> do you know what? If you sleep well, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier. It's going to help. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about obviously the fact that, you know, I think we've all had issues and maybe struggles with sleep or we don't prioritize it as much, but I wondered what a few of 
the most common perhaps or the biggest issues that you see when it comes to our sleep you know what are we struggling with especially maybe women in particular just thinking about those listening you know what kind of are the issues that we're facing I think it it does come down to what I've mentioned before about being really busy. Mm. You know, our lives are really nonstop. We're constantly bombarded by messages, by things to do. I mean, if you're a woman then and you've got kids, you've also got that extra added dimension of thinking about your family. I, I, most women that I know are always on. They are amazing achievers, but what they're not great at doing is slowing down. Mm. And their bodies are learning to rely on the stress hormones, on the fight or flight stress response to just get them through the day. And particularly when you're tired, if your body isn't able to kind of cope, then it just dials up the amount of adrenaline, the amount of cortisol that's running around your system. And that means that you get into the situation where you're tired, but you're wired. You're in mm. this situation where you, um, we call it hyper arousal. You know, everything is kind of tuned on, switched on. And most, most people are quite aware that, you know, you probably ought to have a wind down routine. And it's something that they did as a kid, you know, you'd have a bath, you'd read a book and you get tucked in. And, and when you're ready, when you're relaxed, then you switch out the light. But I think as adults, because there's so much to do, we just totally neglect the fact that we've got to slow down. We've got to put on the brakes before we can switch out the light and expect to sleep. So the result is that a lot of people struggle either to fall asleep or even if they're so tired that they manage to fall asleep, they wake up in the early hours of the morning. And I think more often than that, than not, that is because they are in this constant state of alert, of arousal. And we've got to retrain ourselves to actually be okay with doing less, taking a bit of time out during the day. Uh, doing some deep breathing, some yoga, some stretching, whatever it takes that you're going to enjoy that actually helps to slow your body down. Mm, I like that idea of what you do in the day has such an impact on what you do at night. It's not just what's happening in the dark, in the evening hours, right? Definitely. Um, I think often before bed, people can put themselves under quite a lot of pressure. You know, they might have read that they ought to wind down and mm. it almost becomes a military operation that they've got to do X or, or Y, particularly when thinking about kids. And actually that can become quite stressful. Uh, we've actually got to rehearse our ability to switch off the stress response multiple times a day, you know, take a bit of time out uh, after lunch. Try not to, um, try not to check your emails. The first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning, just getting used to doing a little bit less. I wondered what those things are for you. Just thinking about that, what are, what are your kind of during the day, your switch off kind of calm down kind of approaches, I guess. Well, we were talking earlier. I'm very lucky. I live by the sea. Uh, so in the morning, if the tides are right, then I'll get out for a paddleboard. And because I'm tide dependent, it sometimes means that I will take a break to get on the water to go rowing or something at different times of day. And I realize that not everybody can do that, but actually just going for a walk has all sorts of positive benefits. So if you go out for a walk during the day, it's not just that you're sort of stopping, uh, looking at a screen, thinking about work, but you're also getting exposed to sunlight. 
And one of the most important factors that we know to control your biological rhythm, your circadian clock, is exposure to natural light. People who spend their lives inside in artificial light really have problems with sleep. This is a massive problem in in hospitals and institutions um, because artificial light doesn't have the same alerting value that natural light has. And so, yeah, you you get lots of benefits by just stopping for a quick walk, 10 minutes. I tried to make that actually a part of my routine because I got into a real habit of going for a walk after I'd finished work and I really enjoyed it, but I realized that I was going out often when it was dark because um, those listening were in the UK. So we're dark quite early at the moment. And so I've even just, even if I have to work a little later, I'm just trying to make sure I get out around lunchtime or some point in the daylight hours. And I do think it really does make a difference. It's fantastic. I, this, this is a really interesting area of science and um, natural light, uh, sunlight on the skin actually produces serotonin. You actually get these mood enhancing neurotransmitters just in response to sunlight. So you've got benefits for your mental health, for your physical health and for your circadian rhythm. Mm. And obviously we've been and are still going through such a challenging time with the pandemic. And I feel like I keep seeing study after study about how that's impacting our sleep, you know, whether some people are finding it's maybe helping their sleep because they are in a routine that maybe works better for them working from home. But a lot of people are finding they're really struggling with their sleep and the the stress and things that come with what we've all been going through. You know, what are you seeing? And I guess what are your tips really for if we are starting to feel like we're struggling in that sense. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with you. There's been a huge amount of research that shows that probably for at least half of us, sleep has got worse in response to um, the pandemic or the lockdown. And, and hopefully we're now coming out of that, but we're also, we're still seeing a lot of uncertainty. And Although most of us will associate a feeling of stress with being overwhelmed with too much to do, or perhaps even having a threat to our status or our safety from from COVID, our brains are actually stressed by any situation which is new or unpredictable or uncontrollable. And when our brains get into that fight or flight stress response and they produce cortisol, that is a natural enemy of melatonin, the hormone that usually signals sleep. So that's one of the reasons that if we are stressed, then our sleep becomes lighter and less restorative uh, because our bodies are not able to prepare and to stay in deep sleep for quite as long. So if the enemy is is uncontrollability and lack of routine and um, and predictability. Then, as I've already said, uh, it's really important to have a to allow yourself to slow down, but also to have a regular rhythm. And if you perhaps got put on furlough or you're now working from home some days a week, perhaps go perhaps commuting some days a week, very often that daily routine has now been disrupted. So to provide consistency, probably the most simple thing that you can do is just wake up at the same time every day, seven days a week. This provides a kind of anchoring for your body clocks that they know, okay, we're going to start the clock on the day at a certain time. And that means that uh, whether it's 17, 18, 19 hours later, your body is going to be ready for sleep. Um, So start your day at the same time create that predictability um, and that will help your body to get into a good sleep rhythm. I'd love to know the one thing, and maybe there's more, but that you wish all of us knew about sleep 
that maybe people don't often know and why? Ooh, I would say I spend a lot of my time reassuring people that it's okay to wake up during the night. I think we all have memories of being a child and perhaps like sleeping through the night, not having disrupted sleep. And then we start to worry when we wake up. Well, we naturally have slightly more disrupted sleep as we get older, but actually everybody has periods of lighter sleep during the night. We sleep in cycles of about 90 minutes to 120 minutes. And between each cycle, there's often a very brief period of wakefulness. And when you're not worried about sleep, you'll probably just roll over, perhaps wriggle the covers a little bit um, and go straight back to sleep. And in the morning, you won't remember it. But the moment that you've had a disrupted night of sleep, these natural breaks in your sleep cycles can start to to worry people. So one of the first things I will say is it's okay to wake up at night. That hasn't ruined your night of sleep. Just, you know, turn over, go back to sleep again. Because I was thinking about that when you were saying about the kind of wired and tired thing earlier. Mm. If because I was reading a report by the Sleep Health Foundation in Australia and it found about a third of women report always or often being overwhelmed by thoughts when we're trying to sleep or, you know, whether it's that idea that we can't get to sleep or like you were saying, maybe in the night we've woken up and what if we can't get back to sleep? You know, what can we try in that moment? What's your advice for those times when, you know, we can't get past that wake, that waking moment? This happened to me actually during the early days of the pandemic. I started waking up in the middle of the night and I'm like, what's going on here? You know, I didn't think I felt particularly stressed, but of course I was in the context of all this uncertainty. And unsurprisingly, I had exactly the same experience as everyone else. So it was great, actually. I got to try lots of different techniques to help me fall asleep. And I have to say the the one that I found most reliable was a very simple breathing technique. Now there's a lot of, a lot uh, around uh, about breath work at the moment. And if you have a particular breath work routine that you follow, that could be a useful thing to do at night. Personally, I just developed um, what I call one, two breathing. So breathing in for a count of one, slight pause, and then breathing out for a count of two. In for one and out for two. And the idea here is that you've got a slightly longer exhale than your inhale. And we know that those exhales, those are the things that activate the, the parasympathetic nervous system rather than the sympathetic nervous system. So this is the reverse of fight or flight. When you're breathing out in a slow, controlled way, you're actually sort of um, enhancing your rest or digest response. So there are lots of different routines that you might follow for breath work, but actually I found one and two was something that I could remember in the middle of the night. And yeah. a few cycles of that can just help you to calm down. Um, another strategy, if you haven't come across this one before, is if you're, this is good for the middle of the night. It's not so good if you're um, uh, getting into bed at the end of the day. And that's because if you're too wide awake, this won't work. But if you're a bit sleepy, say to yourself the word, the. Two seconds later, say it again. The. 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 Obviously, this is not very interesting podcast content. Uh, this is in fact the most boring word in the English language, and it effectively forms a sort of thought blocker. So when you're a little bit drowsy and you just want to stop annoying ideas coming into your head, a little bit of the uh, can be really helpful. 
I love that so much. I've got such a big smile on my face right now because I feel like I love that idea because I never heard that idea before. But you're right. It's that sense of boring yourself to sleep in a way. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I would say, you know, do remember that if you've been lying in bed for 15 or 20 minutes and you can't sleep, don't wrestle with it. Don't create an environment in your bedroom where sleep becomes the battleground because that's what we want to avoid. Ideally, your bedroom and your bed wants to be associated with feelings of calm and satisfaction and relaxation. So if you get into that situation where you can't sleep, this happens to everybody. And after 15 or 20 minutes, I'd say turn on the light, get up, get out of bed, perhaps go somewhere else in your house, nice uh, comfy sofa, sit under a blanket, read a book, do some coloring in, um, even watch TV until the point where you start to feel sleepy again. When you start to feel your eyelids getting heavy, that's your cue that you're sleepy again and then it's time to get back into bed. And so then you can rebuild this positive sleep bed connection by only being in bed when you're really sleepy. And I'd love to know as well, are there any myths perhaps or misconceptions about sleep that you'd like to clear up? I know we touched on the idea of, you know, waking in the night, but is there anything else that kind of you hear a lot and you think, no, no, don't worry about that or that's not right? Um, I think a lot of people are now wearing wearable devices, um, which is kind of good and kind of dangerous when it comes to sleep. Uh, I've certainly, I I kind of have a love-hate relationship with them. I think they're Mm. kind of brilliant for shining a light on what happens in terms of sleep. And for some people, they can be really helpful just to remind them to protect that time for sleep. But if you're not sleeping well, sometimes getting that feedback from a wearable that you've had a terrible night's sleep and, you know, it might tell you you've only got 10% recovery or something, um, that can actually be quite anxiety inducing. So sometimes I'll actually tell people, okay, look, I'm, I'm not telling you to ditch your wearable entirely, but have a break from it. Try and get back into the habit of relying on how you feel as the best measure of your sleep, because none of these wearables are 100% reliable. Uh, I went through a period uh, last summer, I I rode around Britain and I had three different wearables uh, to see what what impact (laughs) was having my sleep. And the relationship between them was pretty loose. Uh, So we know that they're not entirely reliable. I, I do think that they can be helpful, but there is no perfect recipe for the perfect night's sleep. In reality, your sleep changes quite a lot from night to night, depending on what you've done during the day and depending on how well you slept the night before and the night before that. So you can expect to see a lot of variability. So when you're thinking about tracking sleep, think about tracking your sleep over periods of weeks and looking Mm. at trends rather than getting too bogged down in one single night. Do you think people get hung up on the amount of hours we should be sleeping or time to go to bed and time to wake up and that kind of thing? Or do you think that's, it's good to be aware of? And what's your kind of take on that? I think it's it's useful to have that directive that basically a lot of sleep experts got together. They reviewed all the research and in 2015, they issued these recommendations, which haven't been changed, which are that most adults need at least seven hours sleep for optimal health and functioning. 
But this all came with a caveat that that's at a population level. And just like your height or your shoe size, some people are going to be naturally needing more sleep, whereas others might well be able to thrive on a little bit less. But if you use a minimum of seven hours as a guide, make time for at least seven hours. And then if you find that you're waking up before your alarm, brilliant. You know, maybe you don't need quite that much. But equally, some for some people, seven hours a night is not going to be quite enough. Um, so you are the best guide to how much sleep you need. Uh, nobody else can tell you. You are entirely unique. Um, and I think it's good to experiment and, and work out what works best for you. I like that. See what you feel good on, I guess. Yeah. So I think you've already touched on some of it, but I, having written sleep features before, there is so much research and innovation going on to help us sleep and in the sleep space. And it's exciting. Everything from, you know, things in hospitals around suitable lighting mm. and sound to, you know, good. I'm thinking about weighted blankets and you know trackers and all the things and these incredible apps and that can help you sleep. And there's so much going on. And I wondered what excites you? You know, what are some of the trends or areas of research that make you feel really hopeful and really stand out to you? I think I touched on light already. Light really excites me because natural light is free of charge. It's available to absolutely everybody. Um, so I think the fact that we are realizing that getting out into nature has these huge benefits for our health, for our sleep, uh, for our mood. Um, I think that's kind of exciting. And so science is trying to take a more systematic approach to measuring, you know, what light we need at what times um, to benefit us. But intuitively, we know that um, shift work is really, really hard for our bodies. And one of the reasons is that it completely disrupts our body clock. But if we can use science to help the application of light at the right times to help people adapt to shift work, which is starting to happen. I think that's pretty exciting. Um, I think just a better understanding of our circadian rhythms, these inbuilt 24-hour rhythms, which are written into our DNA. I mean, there's been research, for example, looking at if you take blood pressure medication in the evening rather than the morning, it seems to be more effective because you're actually helping with the natural circadian rhythm in blood pressure, which is for it to dip during sleep. And in previous years, people have kind of said, oh yeah, take, take your drugs in the morning. And that usually the advice to do that is simply because it, it gives you all day. If you forget in the morning, you can still take your blood pressure medication. But actually the time of day that things happen is incredibly important because of these fluctuations in, in our internal physiology. So I think circadian biology, understanding these 24-hour rhythms is definitely going to explode more in future years. I love that idea because you were talking earlier about, you know, if we get those, that alignment or that in syncness with our clocks, our internal clocks, a little bit more spot on, that can help with everything from our well-being to our fitness performance and workouts and things. And um, I wondered if, you know, what are some of the things perhaps while that research is going on, are there ways that we can start to bring elements of that into our lives? 
Well, I think what I said earlier about just waking up at the same time every day. Yeah. Um, I know that it's sort of traditional to have a lion at weekends, but there's quite a lot of research now that's saying this idea of social jet lag, where our social rhythms actually give us jet lag at, at the weekend. So we delay our wake up time by a couple of hours on the weekend. And then come Monday morning, we've kind of got to wrench the body clock back uh, to wake up for work. Now, I think post-pandemic, where people are a lot more in control, perhaps, of their working times, we've got a real opportunity to do things differently, not necessarily to have lions at the weekend, but try and choose a time that actually we can consistently stick to at least six, if not seven days a week. That's going to make a massive difference. Mm. And then I think another area around timing is um, around eating behavior. So there's been a lot written about the idea of time-restricted eating. So just trying to consume your calories within perhaps an eight to 10-hour window rather than just grazing throughout the day, because we know that actually that seems to be a more efficient for our metabolism. And it seems to really help with uh, with weight management and it's probably going to help with sleep as well if you're not he- eating late at night. So that might be something to experiment with, just perhaps, you know, definitely having breakfast, uh, but having it at, cons- at a consistent time and perhaps trying to bring your evening eating time a little bit earlier. What about when it comes to our workouts and mm. I guess other things during the day, you know, is there, there's this idea that there's a optimum time maybe to do certain things throughout the day based on our circadian rhythm. Is that right? Is there optimum times to do certain things or is it not that prescriptive? We are all different. This is one complication with our circadian (laughs) rhythm. So some of us are inherent early birds, um, probably about one in four of us, whereas one in four of us are probably night owls. Um, There's some fascinating research in athletes that looked at their performance on a bleep test. I don't know if if there are bleep tests in Australia. I assume it's the same. It's a kind of timed shuttle run exercise. It's You know what? It makes me laugh because it gives me flashbacks of school for one thing, but also hugely unpleasant. Oh, it takes me back. But if our wonderful editor, Lisa, is listening to this, well, she'll be, she's editing it, so she will be listening. I've been to an event before where we were doing a bleep test together and she was an absolute champion and she won this bleep test and lasted to the end and she was so good. And I remember thinking, you are a superstar. And I did better than I did at school. So I was like, I'm chalking it up as a witness. <laughs> well, it may have been looking back to school, you know, did they do this first thing in the morning or did they do it last thing in the afternoon? Um, because what, what this research showed, then they got these athletes to repeat the bleep test uh, multiple times a day um, over two weeks, I think. And what they showed was that on average, peak performance was around about 4 p.m. Now, this coincides with a peak in our core body temperature. So at that time, we generally are a little bit faster, maybe a little bit stronger. That seemed to be a good time to break world records for speed and agility. Because, you know, our our body is a little bit warmer um, naturally. Whereas in the early hours of the morning, for most people, you know, you need to warm up properly before you do any exercise because the core body temperature is a lot lower and there's potentially a risk of injuries if you don't ease yourself into it. But what this research found is that although on average the peak was about 4 p.m., if you were an early bird... So you naturally wake up closer to dawn. Your peak was probably three hours earlier at around 1 p.m. 
Whereas the night owls, their performance continued to improve into the evening. So 7, 8, 9 p.m. at night, they're actually doing better. So those are the guys that actually you want to be uh, playing late um, competitive uh, football matches and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> they're inherently going to be better at performance late at night. So you, you've got to understand your individual rhythm as well. And then you can also use light and food to try and shift that rhythm if you need to um, sort of delay your peak for, for some reason. So can understanding, when it comes to understanding what our own rhythms are or generally how we tend to tend to fall you know is it a case of seeing when you like you were saying when you naturally wake up when you naturally feel tired is it that kind of we can start to work it out yeah there are some great uh, questionnaires online if you if you kind of google chronotype questionnaires a munich chronotype questionnaire which is free and you can fill in online um but essentially it's things like do you uh, wake up without an alarm uh before 7am say that's a pretty much an early bird trait um, whereas a natural night owl if they could choose any time to wake up it would definitely be after 10am um, and in terms of food a natural night owl will probably not feel hungry for breakfast whereas an early bird will probably wake up thinking about breakfast uh, <laughs> so it's small changes but but I think most people inherently know themselves um, if they are a strong night owl or a strong um, early bird and the rest of us are probably somewhere in between yeah somewhere in the middle I was gonna say um, and you mentioned obviously we touched on about research um, around shift work earlier and I was just thinking actually for people listening to this who do work shifts you know I know that sleep can be incredibly challenging and a different kind of issue I guess and you know what are some of the ways that we can start to if we are working shifts look after our sleep or help ourselves in that kind of sense when it's so different to what may, other people may be experiencing? Yeah, I mean, shift work puts all these demands on the body because you are constantly wrenching your body clocks backwards and forwards. And that definitely puts pressure on the system. So statistically, we know that shift workers are at greater risk of diabetes, heart disease, depression, uh, and so on. Now, that does not mean that they are definitely going to develop those conditions. It simply means that they're more vulnerable vulnerable. And therefore, I think it's even more important that they look after their health in terms of a healthy diet, um, obviously protecting time for sleep. Now, in terms of sleep quality, um, light is one of the biggest stimuli to keep us awake. So when you're on your way home from a night shift, a uh, simple thing, but just wearing sunglasses, trying to limit that exposure to bright light will hopefully help you to get your body into the right condition for, for sleep. And I think there can also be quite a lot of anxiety for shift workers who know that they need to sleep. Perhaps they don't feel tired. Um, and one thing from, from people that I've worked with is actually just give yourself a little bit of space between walking in through the door and trying to get to bed. Not too much. Um, don't kind of, uh, I, w I would say that's not the time to go for a workout for most people. Um, but it is time to unwind and relax before you get into bed. And it comes back to what we were saying earlier about creating a positive sleep bed connection. If you're wound up, it's actually better to delay your bedtime a little bit, perhaps go and have a bath, wait until you're feeling calmer and only then get into bed. And then using things like an eye mask, earplugs to try and create this little cocoon uh, that will hopefully help you to, to sleep even during the day. 
my partner, I was saying to Sophie, is an electrician and he's on a few night shifts, I think, in a few weeks' time. So I'm going to pass this pass this on to him. I think it'll be good, good tips to know. So um, when is it time, do you think, to see a professional about our sleep? You know, I think a lot of us don't necessarily think to do that, perhaps. You know, are there certain symptoms or certain things happening? You know, when do we when do we need help, really? I think there, there certainly are a few triggers. I mean, I, I, I don't want to... to medicalize a few bad nights sleep. We all experience a few bad nights sleep from time to time. That's normal. And usually what happens is that our body automatically builds up an increased sleep pressure and increased propensity to sleep. So even after several nights of bad sleep, you know, your brain just wants to catch up more. So you can reassure yourself a little bit that actually, if you keep maintaining a normal routine, you keep getting out of bed as normal, um, at some point your brain is going to kick in and it's going to get you back into a good rhythm. And usually the problems arise when you compensate for that poor sleep by doing things like increasing your caffeine intake or using alcohol, which can then kind of start negative patterns. But so a few, a few poor nights sleep is pretty normal. I think as soon as that starts to become quite an entrenched pattern. And, and so we would normally characterize insomnia as at least three nights of disrupted sleep for at least three months, uh, despite adequate opportunity to sleep. So um, if there's any parents of young children there, they may not be suffering from insomnia, but they just haven't had adequate opportunity to sleep. Um, so that's a, that's a chronic insomnia problem. And the most effective treatment actually is a, a psychological therapy approach called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And there are lots of different ways to access that. There's lots of online programs now and self-help books uh, that we know can be useful. Um, but it's definitely worth talking to your doctor at any point where you feel overwhelmed and having difficulty coping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody, sh- what, what we do know is that Poor sleep is not just a symptom or that something else is going on. Poor sleep is worth treating in its own right. It is a medical condition. And if you don't treat it, you are at increased risk of things like anxiety and depression. So, you know, it's worth addressing sooner rather than later. Um, I, th- I guess the other thing I should also mention if you actually find that you are getting normal amounts of sleep, but you're still feeling really sleepy during the day, and perhaps sometimes you wake up gasping for breath, uh, those things can be a sign of sleep apnea, which is a sleep breathing disorder where you have these temporary pauses in breath during the night. Um, and that can make you feel massively sleepy and fatigued. It can also increase the risk of depression and heart disease, and it is a very treatable condition. Um, we can sort of help train you to breathe breathe a little bit better or perhaps use a a CPAP mask to actually sort of pump a continuous flow of oxygen into the brain. So if you're worried about sleep apnea, do kind of Google that and perhaps go and talk to your doctor if you think you might need treatment for that. Yeah, we'll definitely put some resources and links in the show notes so people can read up a little bit more and Just lastly, I feel like we've covered so, so much and I feel like everyone's going to get so much away from this chat with you. But if you could just leave us with one final note, you know, if you if we could only take one tip away from this, what would you really want us to kind of go away with? At the risk of sounding like a broken record and repeating myself, (laughs) it's not just about how long you sleep for. It's really the consistency of your sleep timing that I think we're realizing is increasingly important. So if you could just do one thing to increase the quality of your sleep at night, I think it would be waking up at the same time every day. 
I love that. All right, everyone, you heard no snooze buttons. <laughs> Get that alarm going. I, I, I leave my alarm in a different room so that I now have to get up, get out of bed, switch on the lights and then turn the alarm off. I actually found that really helpful. That's what people say, isn't it? You have to do that or at least on the other side of the room. So you have to actually get out to go and sort it out. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as you get the body moving and exposed to bright light, that really gets you going. I mean, um, for us here in the UK at the moment, it's dark until pretty much eight o'clock in the morning. So um, (laughs) it's difficult to get yourself going. So any tricks that you can use to get the body moving, that will help wake you up. Brilliant. Sophie, thank you so, so much for your time and sharing your insights. And yeah, I really appreciate it. I hope everyone has a good a good night's sleep tonight. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. That was a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Please let us know if you do try boring yourself to sleep tonight. I'd be so curious to know if it works for you. For more great resources to help you on your health and wellness journey, grab a copy of Women's Health Australia or visit us at womenshealth.com.au. This episode was hosted by Alex Davies and produced by me, Lisa Gebulagen. Thank you and we'll see you next time.